darlings and friends, it's Chantel, and I'm back with my wonderful co-host, James Crater, who you'll hear from momentarily. This is episode 74 of the Thinking Pilates podcast, and we are going at our consistently slow pace. We are being thoughtful and mindful and navigating, as you all are, so much strangeness and uncertainty and richness and change in our lives, in our teaching, in our community, professionally, personally, and in the world. It's all just a little overwhelming at times. And yet I know James and I are both continuously committed to being in conversation in all aspects of our work lives And we're really excited to bring this conversation to you specifically. I think it's one of the conversations that is going to be incredibly potent for us for many, 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 many months, if not years. And I hope you will enjoy it. It's incredibly sweet and also incredibly powerful. In this episode, we're talking with Deb Dana, who is the author of a new book called Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection. Deb is a licensed social worker. She specializes in trauma and has been working with Dr. Stephen Porges, founder and creator of the Polyvagal Theory for many years. Deb really is pioneering the practical and clinical application of the Polyvagal Theory and It was such a pleasure to talk to her, particularly in regards to a current world crisis with COVID, among other things. And I know that you are just going to get miles and miles and miles of insight and inspiration. I'm so pleased to bring this conversation to you and the coming conversations that we have planned. Without further ado, I think I will let us begin with a very interesting intro into this conversation. We just fall into it. So grab your parachutes. Hi, Deb. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Let me just turn off my other stuff here so I don't, we don't get interrupted. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You never know, you know, I was in a um, book study group the other day and my six-year-old granddaughter decided she wanted to FaceTime. Oh, (laughs) uh, he is um, persistent, shall we say? I understand that. I I, six times. I was like, oh my goodness, it was great. So anyway, (laughs) where that doesn't happen here. Yeah, I have one of those six-year-olds at home, so I understand. Is she also persistent? Yeah, beyond persistent. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. She has an older sister who's who's eight, who, who would not do that, who would say, Oh, grandma's not there. I'll try later. But no, oh. this, the six-year-old is like, Nope, I'm just going to keep pushing that button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh. how, that's how Sydney is for sure. She yeah. doesn't, I, she refuses to understand like if I have my phone in my hand or I'm talking into the computer oh. and I have my, like oh. all the, all the cues that would indicate no. that I'm engaged in a conversation. She just, no. Is nope. unwilling to accept that as a as a nope. thing that would deter yep. her. Like, what does that matter to her? Exactly. You know, it's fascinating. There was an interesting um, study that I, I used the other day in something I was presenting, where they, the, you know, the still face experiment. You know, the the um, well, they 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 had a mom and a I, he was like three maybe year old, and they used the phone instead. 
Mm. And so she, um, they were playing and then she started um, looking at her phone, doing stuff. It took him 15 seconds to recognize that she was gone. And then he was incredibly persistent in trying to get her back because it was like, this thing has taken my mom away. It was very fascinating. So your six-year-old gets it on a biological level as well. as Absolutely. I know it. I know it. I know it. Yeah. 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 Which is good in a way, right? Like in a way I feel really grateful for that response because it Mm -hmm. feels like Mm -hmm. a really healthy connective response. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. You just have to find a way to, to, notice and name it and say whatever she needs that I, uh, I can do it in 10 minutes or, you know, negotiate with her nervous system is really what you're doing, not with her brain. Right. Yes. Yes. And I, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't want to like go off on a tangent before we even get started in our conversation. We've already started. It's kind of, I know (laughs) I I do notice, I do notice if I do a couple, there are a couple of things I can do that just diffuse the situation. And one Mm -hmm. is, I, mm-hmm. I, I get down. So I sit down or I kneel down mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I invite her into me. So I, that yeah. physical contact and just, yeah. even just softening my voice, you know, and the, these Absolutely. things yep. to just say, yeah. you know, or just to, you know, sometimes I'll just completely ignore the request, but I'll say, give me a kiss, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll just draw her in to, to give a kiss. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's like, then I can, I can meet her in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because what my first experience, especially working from home, which I do a lot anyway, and now mm-hmm. full time, mm-hmm. uh, is just to feel agitated, mm-hmm. right? Obviously. And then mm-hmm. the moment that is translated mm-hmm. all the things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. N- yeah no way. It doesn't matter what your words are. It's, it's, no, it's I know. the nervous system conversation that's going on all the time. And all so, the time. You know, you're inviting her in. You're, you're really, I mean, what is she really asking? She's not really asking you to do this thing. She's asking for connection and you're yeah. then offering yeah. that. So it's a lovely, yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I have enough presence, right, of mind to do that. Right. Well, when your bandwidth <laughs> is, is big enough so that you can have an anchor in your own ventral, which you know, doesn't happen for us all the time, especially yeah. nowadays, right? Yeah. The good news being that the research says you only have to be be in that place 30% of the time, mm-hmm. right? It, it's that the other 70%, you recognize there's been a rupture and you do something later to make a repair. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that's a very reassuring that. statistic. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to. I'm writing that one down because I, I need that to read that that's, one. That's <laughs> out of Edtronic's beautiful research that um, 30% is, and and it's really interesting because even um, what kids or if we grow up with a with an insecure or an insecure attachment, mm. it doesn't mean that we that we that the people with a secure attachment have more than the 30% necessarily. It simply means that there was a recognition of the rupture and a repair was made. So it's, yeah. not, it's not the ruptures that are the problem. It's the lack of making repair. The lack of, yeah. So can you, um, and, and maybe we'll come back to this again, but just for mine and James's sake, can you restate the, um, say it again, the 30%, the 30% of, connection so, like healthy so when you were saying that you know when you have the bandwidth mm-hmm. right when you have the the presence of mind you said but right I said yes when when your nervous system is able to hold you in that place you have enough yes. sense, um so that you can be in that 
connection with your child. We only need to have that 30% of the time. Gotcha. And our kids can still grow up to have a safe, secure attachment. It's what happens after that impacts that. So if we recognize, oh, there was a rupture. And even if I can't repair it right now, but I come back and repair it later, that's right. a difference, right? Yeah. And in fact, yeah. the research goes on to tell us that we don't want to be attuned 100% of the time, that it's these ruptures that are repaired that build resilience. Mm. Yes. So again, that's helpful for parents. I, I extrapolate this to, to, to adults, to, to partners, to colleagues, to whatever, because I think the, the, the research would be the same, that, that we don't want to always be in agreement and be in this, this state right. of, of attunement. We want to have these ruptures and make repairs. That's the natural flow of a relationship, and it builds the capacity in that relationship. So when I was working with couples, if I had a couple that said, we never fight, it's like, oh, let's explore that because that's not normal, right? It means that something is disconnected in there Ugh. so that you aren't coming to that place that's of being so, able to argue. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I wish somebody would have told me that in the first 15 years of my perfect marriage. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Which no longer exists. Uh, yeah, see? Yeah, I know. Oh, I mean, not, it, it's actually a really quite a wonderful situation, but it makes me think, oh, sorry, it just makes me think about like the way things, you know, you can't build tone or strength or, you know, you use the word resilience unless yeah. there is, right. is, there is a tearing, there is a pushing yeah. at the edges, there is tension. Right. Tension. Exactly. And, and, you know, James and I, we come from a movement background. So it's like, we think about that in terms of the way we tension muscle or we tension tissue. Right. And it can't always be this way and it can't always be this way. Either one would be unhealthy. So absolutely. You're always moving between. And, and I, I suppose if you do movement with, with groups, and I don't know if you do or not, but you're, you're noticing how groups move apart and come together, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, which is that, and, and, and how within a group, there may be certain participants who, who want more distance. Yes. And others who want more here and, and to, to make room for the nervous system to, to move in the way that it feels safe enough to, yes. to engage. That's what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah. And well, we're seeing that now, I think in our online teaching and James and I both are teachers of teachers. So we, we've been mm-hmm. working a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly what I've been doing. And I know James is doing it even more now working with teachers yeah. and, and really helping them navigate this new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things we're facing is the mm-hmm. allowing of like, if somebody doesn't want to be seen and heard, Mm-hmm. then then there needs like then that's okay you know there's a level right. of like right. willingness on our end to to say it's fine to not be seen or heard in this and and, venue. and, to, be, and to and to go even further just not say it, it's fine but to say um it's it's invited mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. then they're paying attention to what their nervous system need is not what your expectation is that's right so i'm not and giving them permission yes yeah, right yes please Yes. So great. I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm probably not the best interview for you movement folks because I, (laughs) I have a dear friend who um, is a, is a amazing dance movement therapist. I don't know if you know Dan Levin who created Soma Soul and does all of this stuff. And I would go and he would be doing these great big things. And, and, and I would stand in the doorway 
and want. <laughs> and he would say, come on in. I said, nope, because right here, I can take it in. Yeah. If I take yeah. one more step inside, I'm going to go to my dorsal disconnect and I'll be gone. Yeah. So, because for me, um, uh, taking it in through somebody else doing it, and I imagine doing it in, in my mind, but as soon as I go to enact it, I get a survival response. Mm. So it's just fascinating to me. It and so I wanted to, to tell people, you too can enjoy movement without actually having... Right. I think that's so important for um, our audience to hear because there's a fallacy in the movement world that movement cures everything and movement is the answer to everything. So I think what you said right there is very, very, very important for our community in particular that sometimes uh, for certain populations, it's, it's actually the opposite. And for, you know, certain populations, it's just, well, to be exposed in whatever way is, mm-hmm. yes. is more than enough. It is, it is the, um, the tether. Right. Yeah. So we're looking for the right degree of challenge for each mm-hmm. person's nervous yes. system. And that changes moment to moment, day to day. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly well, I'm 67. I hate, I, I, the other day somebody asked me how old it was. I had to count. I'm 67. And I think <laughs> I I'm do that pretty too. well I don't know. rooted. That we, <laughs> I'm pretty well rooted in the experience of, I, I'm probably never going to get out there on stage and do what I can do in my head. And that feels good to me. It feels okay to me. I spent a mm. long time feeling like that was bad and wrong and yeah. that I was doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And now it's like, no, that's how my nervous system takes it yeah. in and engages with it. So that's what I would like people to, to get. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing I think to say to just to, uh, you know, we do talk a lot about invitational language, but to invite the awareness of like what kind of challenge is appropriate in the moment. Right. Um, that's, that's right. a place from which James and I really Mm. Um, deeply work from. And I think the polyvagal work has informed that in part. And then we both, I think, are just intuitively working that way, probably for the entirety of our careers. But um, it it. is interesting because particularly for Pilates, which is our kind of rooted history, Mm -hmm. although we both do lots of other things, Mm. there is a... um, it just a, a kind of a gross uh, expectation that you do it the right way. And that's where the value is. Yeah. And I know that we've worked hard to yeah. shift that, you yeah. know, in our students and in our teachers to this different perspective of like, well, what is the right challenge? And, and right. maybe it needs to be a little right. sloppy and disorganized because yeah. otherwise, how do you find your way right. to that? Otherwise you're just yeah. habituated and planning and stuck and, Right. Right. Otherwise, you know, if I can't, if the right way is not my, my nervous system's way in this moment, then I'm going to override what my nervous system is telling me. And I'm going to suffer both physically, you yes. probably see people with physical injury, but my psychology also suffers because yes. I have now disconnected and thought, oh, what my system is telling me is not okay. Yes. Like that's, I'm a, I, you know, my, my work was always with complex trauma survivors. And so isn't that what they bring? They've been told that what's happening in here either really isn't happening because what you see out here is not going on or what's happening in here is not okay. You, you need to um, disavow it. So, yes. you know. Yeah. yeah. So everybody, we're talking with Deb Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. We just kind of dove in. I love it. I love it. And I'm not going to edit that. I'm just going to let us go right into it. Um, 
Well, I'm here with James, obviously, and Deb has been so gracious uh, to accept the invitation to talk with us. Thank you. Mm, happy um, to. Uh, Deb just released a new book, um, which uh, I have, you know, these are the kinds of books that you pour over for about, you know, an hour and then you put it down and you just sit with it and you just hold it and you work with it for a mm -hmm. long time. But this book is called Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That's been wonderful. Um, and then you are also the author of The Polyvagal Theor Theory in Therapy. Mm -hmm. And then you have a book for um, clinicians called Clinical Applications of the Polyvagal Theory. Yes, that one um, I did with Steve, which was which was a lovely adventure. Yes. Yeah. And I, um, I was in New York, uh, mm -hmm. listening to him speak at the beginning of March and he, he oh, yeah. Kind, yeah, at the Rebecca center, the Re yeah. Rebecca school, he had some very kind words to say about oh. you then. Mm -hmm. Um, but I thought, uh, I thought I would read part of his introduction from oh. the book to oh, introduce Lord. you. It's just okay. so sweet. And oh. I think it will give people a, a nice, um, sense of just who you are and, and maybe why you're here. So he writes, as therapists embraced polyvagal theory, their therapies become or became polyvagal informed. Deb Dana is one of these special therapists. Her books take the principles of polyvagal theory and provide therapists with a toolkit of therapeutic tools designed to enable the client and often the therapist to explore their bodily responses, to become reacquainted with a body that may have become numb. Through her clear and brilliant translation of polyvagal theory into practice, the client is guided to honor both the adaptive numbness that follows severe trauma and vulnerabilities that are experienced when the portals to the nervous system are awakened through cues of safety. Through her exercises, the client is able to experience an unacknowledged intelligence of the nervous system as it initially rejects the validity of cues of safety. This skeptical reaction illustrates the disparity of the personal narrative with the narrative of the body, i.e. the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's why, mm -hmm. that's why James and I have been so fond of the polyvagal work and um, of your work because, uh, you know, I reached out to you some time ago and asked about um, the program you were holding in Oregon um, because I feel like there is nobody yet in mm. our movement community who is doing yeah. what you are doing. Mm. And um, I know James and I have been on this path for the last many years to take the work and, and implement it and give teachers of movement a different perspective and a different way of relating to our students that is not just physio, it's not just bio, it's not just movement-based. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just really exciting to, to talk to you because you have been, uh, from my observation, forging the way of taking this work and very explicitly, you know, adapting it and, and um, making it tangible and, and um, applicable. So mm. it, it's really thrilling. Yeah. It's yeah my, 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 my purpose, my focus, my passion, I guess, is to help people become active operators of their own nervous system. And I think that's that's where this really um, comes into play because, you know, getting to know my own nervous system, that befriending process I talk about, then allows me to to have that curiosity and, and compassion for my system. But then, you know, as a teacher or a clinician to to offer that to the people I'm working with as well. So 
you know, all of this starts here with us, right? We, we yeah. have to embody it first before we can understand how it's, how it works for somebody else. Yeah. 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 And Deb, I'm sure most of our audience, because this is, you know, polyvagal theory, connection, relationship is something Chantel and I talk a lot about in a lot mm-hmm. of our work, but it's always interesting for me when you think of polyvagal theory proper, Deb, how, how do you personally interpret that? Like, what is your working definition of polyvagal theory? I always like hearing people's definitions because it yeah. helps reflect my own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think of polyvagal theory as, as the, the theory of how we um, move through the world, how our nervous system helps us navigate the world. And for me, it, it's, you know, over the years has become three basic principles around hierarchy and the way that our nervous system has these three states and it's a predictable pathway through those states. Neuroception, which is the nervous system's way of listening inside the body, outside in the environment and between systems, and then co-regulation. So with those three organizing principles, everything sort of fits into into that. And and polyvagal theory is, you know, this sort of framework that allows us to really um, use the autonomic nervous system, which is, by the way, the foundation for all of our lived experience. It's where everything starts. Yeah. And, you know, polyvagal theory gives us a, a way and a roadmap and a language to be able to engage directly with that foundation that sits underneath everything. Yeah, I think that's w- one of the reasons why I was drawn to it originally. And uh, we, I've talked about this a lot. Um, I have always felt the restriction of teaching movement um, uh, that I'm just teaching the body. I have never understood that. I I intuitively don't understand that that's actually possible. You know, um, it's never been, I've never had, I think for myself, a singularly body experience without Mm. having, Mm. being aware of all the other layers. Mm. And so as a teacher, I always felt really limited. And then of course, in our profession, we're told that, you know, Of course, we have a scope of practice, which is important, Um, but it always felt so much like I just was supposed to ignore the other aspects of the person in front of me, you know, Um, and I, and and it's like, well, I can only just get so far teaching the body. And so for me, the polyvagal theory allows me to do movement-based things that unwind these um, nervous system states and help people transition and help people to, to occupy a, a healthier state where they're, you know, they can sense themselves better. Their, their brain is optimized for learning. Their body is more receptive. They sent, you know, they're more willing to sense themselves and experience um, not just the good feeling, you know, and demonize the bad feeling, but there's a, there's an, an opening that happens. This is my experience where people are, able to be more vulnerable and, and, and really be present in their body, no matter whether the experience is pleasant or unpleasant. Um, it's really been huge. It's, it's huge. And I am still working in the scope of my practice, but I am working through a very different informed, you know, lens than just body mechanics. 
Yeah, I think once you begin to look through the lens of the nervous system or the lens of polyvagal theory, then you, you can't not look through that lens again, right? right? So when, when you begin to see that, oh, this, this is a you know, mind-body connection, you can't disconnect those. You know, and, and your, your information from your body is being fed up to the brain where the brain's job is to make sense of what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know, either if we just go to the body and don't listen to the story that's coming out of it, or if we just go to the brain and don't listen to the state that's creating that story, we really can't work with the whole um, organism, with the whole person. So, you know, and, and most of us have some sort of a split there. You know, my, my past split was more, you know, working here up and yours working here down. So, you know, when we all come together, it's, it's um, you know, it really invites um, a person to turn toward what's happening inside with um, openness, with curiosity. Curiosity is yes. the one I like to say we start with compassion down the road, but curiosity. Yeah. It's like it, th- my biology is doing something. And I'm going to be curious about why it's doing that. So, yes, I, th- I think that putting them together is for you as movement people and for my colleagues as, you know, more, you know, therapist types, we need to all come together and find a way to bring those together. And I do think polyvagal allows us or, you know, encourages us or demands even that we, <laughs> that we do that. Yeah. Have you always taught from this lens, Deb, or what? How did you how did you find polyvagal theory, or did it find you, or what was the crossroads there? Yeah, you know, I, I like when you just said, "Did it find me?" because sometimes <laughs> it has more of that flavor to it for me. I have always been a, a neuroscience um, geek. I've always thought as a, a therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and so. You know, I was trained to, to, you know, work with people. My specialty was complex trauma. And I've always thought, you know, well, we're, we're working with reconfiguring people's neural pathways. It would be good to understand what's happening in the brain. And so I, you know, did a lot of that work, really understanding and getting to work with um, human brains was one of my wonderful experiences in a histology lab, got to really see a human brain and see it being sectioned, which for some of your listeners, they're going to go, okay, I'm done now, but other people are <laughs> be with me and go, yeah, that's so cool. So, and then um, I read Steve's book. I read his first book. And for me, you know, and I'm not sure how that book came into my, my world, probably some, you know, recommendation from some list I'm on, but um, <laughs> you know, I read it and all of a sudden it was as if a missing piece of a puzzle had come into place and I hadn't known it was missing. Yeah. And, you know, there it was. And I was like, oh, now I get it. Now it makes sense because it's not, it's here. You know, yeah. this is what's going on. And I reached out to Steve soon after that and invited him to come to Maine and see if he would do a, a workshop for my colleagues. And that's really where it all sort of started because what happened for me was I love the theory and I would go around driving my colleagues crazy talking about theory. I think we, we understand that. Yeah, you get that. And then they'd say, okay, so it's great theory, but what are you going to do with it? And I went, oh, that's the question. Yeah. So then I started creating, here's what we're going to do with it. And the world sort of shifted from there. And who knew that however many years later it would, you know, this would be where I am. But now it, it is, you know, it's, it's who I am. It's what I do. So yeah, I think you never know, right? When you're yeah. going to stumble across something that just there's a before and after moment. It changes your life. And yeah, that was yeah. my moment. Mm. Well, and yeah, uh, that sort of 
very similar to my story. I come from a movement and also a myofascial release background. Mm. And so much of the language we use in John F. Barnes' version of myofascial release is directly coincident with the language that you know, Dr. Stephen Porges uses. Yeah. Unwinding, stuck, frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it channel three and channel five, so dorsal or ventral vagal. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it's... Um, when I read it or when I, it was the same exposure. It's like, I don't even remember how I was exposed. I know Chantel and I, it was around the same time. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, are you reading this? Oh, you're reading this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just filled in things that I felt, things that I had heard, but didn't have um, a connection and a tether for everything. Yeah. And so it was this theory for me that sort of went, oh, this is why I feel this. Right. This is why I feel this in my body. This is why I feel this as I'm witnessing it in other people. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really beautiful language, simple language. Well, simple language after a while. When you first I agree, get exposed yeah. to it, you have to read yeah. it a good 17 times before. You know, that, that experience that you talk about, and, <clears throat> and I talk about, and I imagine Chantel would as well, of, of just there was this inner knowing that something fell yeah. into place. That's the same experience that the people we work with have when they begin to understand polyvagal theory that's why i think it is so um it's not an it's not necessarily an easy thing to teach Mm. but once you you teach a bit of it there's this it it just lands at home in our in our clients nervous systems Mm -hmm. and then they're hooked and they want to know more because all of a sudden something that has been totally irrational to them makes perfect sense right clients often tell me oh now i understand this thing that i have spent years trying to figure out here now yes. I understand mm. yeah. yeah when I when I teach uh so James and I have been teaching teachers very specifically we we taught a workshop um gosh what's been the two solid years yeah about two a little over two years probably we taught a workshop called Pilates Imperfect which was based oh, on it. exploration yeah. and um and curiosity and safety and mm-hmm. so we brought, that was kind of, uh, I feel like I'm just going to give our, give us credit. Maybe we just not do, but I feel like that was the moment where we first, our community, like in a very specific and explicit way was, was kind of exposed to in a larger degree, not to say that lots of our, mm-hmm. you know, colleagues weren't aware of the polyvagal theory, but to, we started to just bring that to bear on the work, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just totally lost my thought because I was too busy patting my own back. <laughs> well, as you were, as you were saying, I think you probably deserve it. So go ahead, pat your back. And as you were doing that, I was, you know, I was thinking that you know it's 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 a it's a turning point for the for your community as well right. to to, to sort of see the what the work they're doing in a in a very different way because it you know if you're working as though we're always in a communication with another nervous system, first in a communication with our nervous system. Mm -hmm. I have to know where I am. I have to be regulated so that I can offer that energy out in the world to people I'm working with. And then to, to understand that the, the work we're doing, whether it's Pilates or movement or, you know, more traditional therapy is a, is a nervous system communication. Mm -hmm. And you can't have a protocol for that. 
right? right? There's not a step one to eight for that. As soon as you put a protocol, you've stopped being in conversation. Yes. So you have sort of a broad outline, but within that outline, you're having this conversation. And so you're, you're doing more of that. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing I was going to say was I, I have found myself telling teachers that there are just some things you can't think your way through. Yeah. You must feel your way through this, yeah. you know, and in, in our work, people are dying to get the infant to tell me what to do. Like, yeah. like you're describing, you know, like what are the steps? It's like, well, this is the general direction, right? You know, right. <laughs> right. but, but how you get there. I'm just not sure. And, and it can be difficult to, mm-hmm. mm, it's not, it sometimes feels like convincing, but obviously that's not what we're really doing, but to mm-hmm. encourage mm-hmm. the willingness to not know, you know, and right. to explore and to. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, way. I have to have put out into the environment enough cues of safety so yes. that your system feels that and is is willing and able to take the step into that with me. That's so right. Again, you know, if I'm working with a client, I'll use myself as an example, my world, if I'm working with a client and the work stops, I don't look over there to see what's going on. I look here. What, what, what am I, what cue of safety am I not sending? What cue of danger might I have sent? And then I look over there and have that explicit conversation with my client and say, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a simple safety danger equation here. Yeah. And it's our job to figure out how we can have it be more safety than danger. Yes. Yeah. Well, right. And I think that in particular, Deb, that's sort of where I'm taking my work right now into the movement community is reframing the narrative of safety because mm-hmm. in the movement community safety for so long has just simply the conversation has stopped at um, how do we not injure our clients? Mm-hmm. And so it's the conversation is explicitly about not causing more physical harm. Mm-hmm. rather than the neurologic conversation of mm-hmm. what are signals of safety, what, you know, and, and we can go all the way back to Maslow and, you know, yes. those, that hierarchy is still ringing true more than ever. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, yeah. so we have these neurologic signals of safety coming through mm-hmm. um, conversations can't really happen. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. I was a communications major and it's like mm-hmm. message is always in the receiver, not the sender. So the person across from me, if they're not able to hear this, if they're not mm-hmm. neurologically ready for this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then, then uh, conversations of physical danger don't really matter right. until there's, right. you know, yeah. that knowingness. Right, right. Because safety is not a cognitive experience, right? No. It's an embodied experience. And, you know, the, the nervous system, I, I like you talking about physical safety or the you know, not injuring, you know, in the nervous system, I think we have this, this um, mantra that we don't use the um, power through or no pain, no gain, because that gets you exactly where you don't want to go, gets you into a survival response. Right. And, you know, even though it's an adaptive survival response, um, because it always is adaptive in, in the client's nervous system, it still has shut down the process that we're in. And so then we have to backtrack and go, Oh, okay, we need, what do we need to do here? And, you know, it's interesting because you probably, do you work with groups or one-on-one or both? Both. Uh, All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're one-on-one, it's so much easier. You're having a conversation, one nervous system to another. When you're in a group, you've got to, you're having a conversation with all of these nervous systems and you have to make room. 
for all of those different responses. And what's a cue of safety for me might be a cue of danger to the person next to me, right? And so it's an interesting experience to, to, to notice that and name that. I can't always resolve that, but even just noticing and naming it takes the shame away from it. It's simply, okay, just is, right? Yeah. We, James and I had an interesting experience. So we, um, we are, we cohabitate a teaching space when that's mm. a thing we can do. When you can. <laughs> yeah. Back in the old world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the before. The yeah. before. Um, and we, this was, I don't know, probably less than six months ago, I think, James. Um, we had been, you know, already in lots of conversation about um, just the way we, are integrating and taking in the work for ourselves and the journey we've been on. And both of us have faced some pretty intense life experiences in the last year and, and both come out on the other side, feeling like, like, Oh, I feel the work. I feel the value in my work, in myself as more resilient Mm -hmm. to, to be Mm -hmm. able to be in the turmoil and, and not, you know, you know, falling down on the ground, at least as much, you know, as maybe we would have before. Um, And, and how do we bring that to our students and what you're saying, you know, how do we create an environment of safety? Mm -hmm. And I think there was this moment, and this is my interpretation of what happened, James, and you can speak to it, obviously, is that we had kind of come up with like, a checklist for ourselves about, you know, what we could do and how we could read people. And there's a section in your book where you're talking about um, one of the exercises, which is um, the autonomic request for connection. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're talking about, you know, just skillfully navigating the relationship between my nervous system and your nervous system and, and the cues that we need to look for. And, mm-hmm. and then how do we express ourselves and I think we had come up with like, well, if we do these things, mm-hmm. then, then we're creating a safe environment for the student. And James had a gal um, who just absolutely was the like opposite, like not mm-hmm. respond. Like she mm-hmm. was just like, none of what you're doing makes me, feel me safe. safe is making me feel safe. It's actually making me feel the opposite. And mm-hmm. I, I think for both of us, that was a real mm-hmm. eye opening moment, mm-hmm. you know, no pun intended of, of like, mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it's it. You have to. You have to be willing to identify mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. makes an individual feel safe. That it's mm-hmm. not the same for every person. Yeah. That it, it's mm-hmm. a much as you're saying. You know, you have to continue to be in communication, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that feels valuable, particularly now for teachers mm-hmm. who. who are not feeling safe Mm -hmm. in their new environment of teaching that, that there, there are other ways we can take care of ourselves, but then to pay attention to what Mm -hmm. your student is telling you through their nervous system, Mm -hmm. you know, how, Mm -hmm. how are they looking at the screen? Are they not looking at the screen? Mm -hmm. You know, what, how, you know, noticing their, you know, intonation Mm -hmm. and prosody, like really paying attention to these Mm -hmm these cues that otherwise, you know, we, we maybe just don't attend to is. And I I think this time where we're all now working remotely um, is a perfect time to be introducing polyvagal 
and creating that language. And because it, it invites us to make the implicit explicit, which needs to happen because yes. you know, if I was sitting in a room with the two of you, we would have a much better sense of each other, but we're mm-hmm. already getting a sense of each other just through, you know, through posture and movement and prosody. And to bring that into explicit awareness would be the next step. You know, right. so, you know, one of the things I've created this space, you know, in, in an upstairs room, this is where I meet my clients and colleagues and do supervision and because I want the space to look um, friendly, welcoming, but also professional. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we have to think about is what are the cues that our environment is sending to our clients? Right. And for some clients, there are things in this space that I need to take out when I work with them because they are not mm-hmm. and other things they want to see. So, you know, our clients are in our homes, but we're also in their homes. Yeah. And are you talking, are you, are you asking your clients in the moment, like what in this space that you see Mm -hmm. makes you feel safe or unsafe? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the cue of safety in this space right now? And is there a cue of danger that I could move or shift or whatever? So yeah, absolutely. And I've tried to have things here that were things they were used to. Right. You no. Know, so yes, but having the conversation and maybe and, and the same with, you know, like I can sit forward mm-hmm. or I can sit back mm-hmm. or I can be in the middle and your nervous system is going to have a very different response. Mm-hmm. I love James that the, your, your woman could say everything you're doing is a cue of danger to me. She could say that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was such a blessing to have yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I like to pride myself on, on having those sorts of open relationships or at least mm-hmm. hoping cultivate relationships like that with my students. Mm-hmm. And this was a relatively new student. She had only come in a handful of times mm-hmm. and um, she came in one day and it was uh, explicitly about question asking, you know, and yeah. she said, when yeah. you ask me how I'm feeling, uh, it makes me really anxious. It makes me really nervous. And she had a whole narrative behind it and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, like, yeah. Um, here we go. And, and the way I answered it, I said, you know, that's, that's my style of teaching. Thank you for telling me that I will try my best Mm -hmm. to show up for you how you need, but undoubtedly I know myself and those things will creep up and I'm hoping, you know, I'm going to hold grace for you and I'm hoping that you hold grace for me there too. And thank you so much for doing that. That's what an honor. And and then to, and then to explore. So what are the ways exactly that we can enter into this that do yeah. feel like an invitation to your nervous system rather than that demand that brings anxiety? <laughs> yeah, right? but what an interesting thing, you know, that someone just being asked, like, how are you feeling today was a signal of danger and, it, and it absolutely such an immense signal of danger for her that she felt yeah. it mandatory to inform me of I love it. it. I, well, yeah. but, you know, mandatory, but also in some ways she, you were sending her enough cues of safety that yeah. she, felt she could say it. Yeah. yeah. And that's important because many, many relationships, therapeutic relationships end because there isn't a sense that, that any of that is welcome. Right. Yes. So, so yeah, but now online it's, you know, cause the rules are all different now. I mean, yes. everything's gone yeah. away yeah. somewhere. So we can just start over and say, okay, so now, because I don't get to pick up on the energy in quite the same way as if we were together, yeah. You know, let's create this language so that we have a shorthand way of checking in. And for that yeah. client, you know, it's simply so, you know, I use the ladder, my ladder map, but you could any way that you have it. So, you know, are you feeling some of that sympathetic anxiety right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if so, okay, can you identify what the cue of danger is and what can we do to reduce it? 
and bring in acute safety. Because the other thing we need to remember is that the nervous system needs to both have reduced or resolved cues of danger mm-hmm. and actively experiencing cues of safety. It needs both. Mm-hmm. So simply taking away the cues of danger is not enough. We also have to actively feel cues of safety. And nowadays, you know, we've got da- cues of danger coming every all, all everywhere, right? Coming at you from everywhere. <laughs> All in the room, all outside, all on the TV, everywhere. Exactly. So creating, you know, figuring out what are some ways to reduce that is helpful, although they are going to be with us. So it's really important. What are the cues of safety in this connection that we can create for this moment in time that we're going to be together today? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Give your system a bit of a chance to take a breath because I think we're not getting that nowadays. I think we, we don't yeah. get that chance to, to sit back and take a breath because it's just with us. People who are working from home, you know, those of you who have kids or, you know, you're now teachers at home as well and, and trying to work and there's no, there's no space mm-hmm. for the nervous system to, to just go, ah, right. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things um, uh, my colleague and Bishop and I have been talking a lot about is is creating an environment that feels safe for us yes. in teaching because to address the 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 nervous system of the teacher, you know, as you're saying, and, and I think James and I, you know, we know this and we talk about this. It's like it, it does have to start with you if you're not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. You, you really can't, you can't project safety, then you can't invite safety. And so, um, you know, creating that this is not the space I'm usually in. I'm like in the back room as far away from my children as possible. <laughs> but I teach in a, I teach in a different space in which I have crafted it very specifically. So I feel good. I want to be there. I want to, you know, from the plans to the pictures, to the mm-hmm. art, to the lighting, and and we've been talking a lot about the importance of of taking care in that way. But I really appreciate how explicit you know you're talking about being um, to ask the student what in my space, not just create a space for yourself to be in while you're moving that feels safe, but what in my space feels safe to you or not. I know we've talked a little bit about lighting and view, you know, like view and that kind of like logistical stuff. But I really, I think this is maybe a really um, potent takeaway for people who are listening, teachers who are listening right now is to just be willing to have that conversation with the student and get that kind of feedback Mm -hmm. and, and how much a difference it could potentially make. And and also in, in the other way, your 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 student has invited you into their some yeah. private space of theirs. Yes. Which is for some people is is a uh, is really difficult. Yes. Right? Yeah. Some of our clients really struggle with having us in their personal spaces, and for others, it's it's such a gift. So yeah. again, you can never make an assumption. Right. Yeah. Never. And you know where where are your clients or, or your students when they're, you know, when they're doing their um, sessions with you are they you know I, I know with my colleagues who are doing you know therapy sessions many of them are happening in cars because it's the only private space mm-hmm. in bedrooms because it's the only private space um, a colleague the other day you know two colleagues actually did sessions with their clients in bathrooms it was the only mm-hmm. private space so again it's very interesting to to just be open to it and to explore and okay how do we make this space work for what we need to do today Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. 
Um, what in the moment, I'm curious, um, with everything going on in the world, mm. like what's just top of mind for you? Like, what do you find yourself really, I don't, maybe it's worrying about, maybe it's just contemplating, maybe it's a, a deep awareness, but like what's rising to the surface in the moment for you? Yeah. So for, for me, it's, it's been interesting um, because people want to understand how can you be um, socially distant and safely connected mm-hmm. because our, our, we have a biological imperative for, to connect with other people, to co-regulate with others and um, lockdown, self-quarantine, shelter at home, whatever is happening has interrupted that capacity. And I'm not sure when we're going to get back to, you know, whatever we're getting back to. So for me, it's really been, how do we find ways to help people nourish their nervous systems with connection um, in the new, in new ways? Um, and it's been a fascinating um, journey to do that because again, everybody's system wants something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd all long to be with somebody we love and, and people who are um, sheltering alone are, are probably having a more difficult time than if you're sheltering with someone you actually like, right? <laughs> and then we have the people who are sheltering with people who are dangerous to them. So we have this whole continuum yeah. of experience happening, you know? And so for, you know, for all of us, it's like, what does my nervous system need to feel nourished in connection today? And, you know, if I can have a menu of choices, which one of these might I be able to have my need met with today? This is lovely. We're doing, we're having a good time together. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I will FaceTime with that granddaughter sometime later on today. <laughs> you know, but the other thing is every time we have these connections, we're also reminded that we're limited. Mm. Right. And, and lack of choice is, is pretty reliably a cue of danger to the nervous system. So this experience keeps reminding us, oh, we, we're, our choice is restricted, which can take us out of this anchor and ventral into, you know, either sympathetic, this is what we see in the world, don't we? We see sympathetic fight mm-hmm. erupting, and then we see dorsal hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And so what we need is to find a way to resource ventral because it's only from ventral that we're going to find our way safely out of this. Yeah. Are you, um, I know in our community, there's um, some, maybe a fair bit of discussion about just like the, the zoom fatigue, you know, like, you know, we are, as you say, you know, this is lovely. This is very nice. We can still see each other. We can hear each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, yeah. Uh, for a lot of people, it's really exhausting, right? They're holding a lot of anxiety. I think not only about what you're talking about, that this also indicates a lack of choice, mm-hmm. but there's underlying anxiety about just the technology or, you know, there's like a, there's yeah. a, there's an energetic, yes. you know, something yeah. that's happening. Yeah. Um, so, so for, you know, for your teachers and, you know, for my colleagues, I've been doing a lot of work with, so how, how do we, what happens for us and how do we arrange our world so that we can, you know, show up on zoom and be present for our clients. And, you know, some of the things are to talk about technology and and pre-plan for what's going to happen if the internet goes off or if we can't hear, or if, you know, all those ifs just put them out there because, you know, we talked about choice. The three things the nervous system is looking for that are truly being interrupted right now 
are context, choice, and connection. So choice, we have fewer choices. So what are the choices we can have within what we're doing? You know, context, if I can work with my client to say, so, you know, let's problem solve, pre-plan, because we know, you know, screen's going to go off, whatever's going to happen. We give some context to this. And then connection, how do, how do we create connection across this platform? And it really is a, a question of, of moment to moment playing around with how that happens. What I want your teachers and my colleagues to, to remember is, um, you know, the, the boundaries are all different now. The rules have all changed and we really have to pay attention to our scheduling to, to remember that, you know, I don't know your practice, but my practice before many of my colleagues, you know, they do an hour, an hour, an hour, an hour, an hour, an hour. And when you're in an office and you have five minutes between to, you know, go to the bathroom, grab coffee or something, it's, it's easier. This is, this does not lend itself well to hours in a row. So work with your schedule, make sure you schedule time off. Make sure you're not on a screen all the time. And, you know, the, the boundaries, again, that are changed, because, again, I'm in your house, you're in mine. We need to talk about, what you know, what does this mean for other parts of the work we're doing together? One of the things that I think we notice is that people need more um, connection. Mm-hmm. And is there a way that we can offer between session connection that's not exhausting for us and meets that client's need or that student's need? Um, you know, and I find it easy to, to you know, messages, because everything's technological now, right? Messages or recording a, 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 your voice, because voice is such cue safety that your client can play. Right. You know, there's simple things that we can do now that you know, you can't come to my office and I can't do these things, but what are the things we can do mm-hmm. that are going to, you know, resource the connection? I think a lot of us are going back to basics in our work right now because that's where we need to go. We need to go back to creating that platform of connection and safety. And so, you know, it may be that, okay, let's go back to basics and let's start from that place and then will take off again, but it feels like let's let's do this, let's figure this out first. And I want my I want my colleagues and, and your teachers not to think of that as a step backwards. It's a step deeper. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah. think is what this this time is is offering us. It's offering us a, a, a way to slow down and go deeper. One of the things on Zoom which which I love is that um, only one person can talk at a time. Right? So it kind of helps manage the, the pace of a conversation. So, you know, these are all ways that, that we can begin to explicitly name for ourselves. And um, it's, not gonna, it's not going to take care of that Zoom fatigue because we're working really hard to, to feel the cues mm-hmm. that are r- much harder to feel because my nervous system and your nervous systems are not sharing a space together. Mm-hmm. The thing I would like to say is that there is some interesting research recently about online eye gaze and how it does impact the nervous system. And I had a wonderful um, email from someone who gave me permission to use it. She was on a great big webinar that I did the other day, and she sent me a a message at the end saying, even though I know there were 1,500 people on this webinar, and my brain says you weren't looking right at me, my nervous system felt you were only speaking to me and you were looking at me. I thought, if you can do that, this gives us hope that, yeah. th- that this can work, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that just brings up an interesting issue for me because whenever I look up, so I've got you on grid view because I want to see us all. Yeah, me too. So um, whenever I look up at James, he looks like he's looking at me, but I don't feel like I'm looking at him. It's it's, it's just interesting. (laughs) I know there's a bit of an off to it. and and, And there can also be a bit of the voice out of sync. Mm-hmm. Now, these are all things that that are disruptive to the nervous system, but if you name them explicitly, mm-hmm. they they do not keep sending a cue of danger. It's like, oh, okay, and like you were talking about, you know, where I look, do, you know, because you know, do do I want to look away because this is too much, mm-hmm. or do I want to be here and and savor that connection? Mm-hmm. For some clients, um, they don't want to see themselves. Yeah, right. And so go go to speaker view, not gallery view right turn off your video and just mm-hmm. listen right mm-hmm. and for interestingly what we find for clients because they're now in charge of that and mm-hmm. for some people that feels a lot more i have a lot more agency around that oh i can just turn you off whenever i absolutely i can no longer <laughs> see you right you can even mute if you want you know the, the, but these are the things that in the office are much more difficult to explicitly play with yeah. But you can play with it here. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. so it feels like this is getting a little um a little activating for your nervous system. Let's play around with, you know, how about if I turn off my video and then what happens and then I'll come back and then how about if you turn off yours? We're just noticing what happens until we find the place that feels, oh, this is the just right spot. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My, my, I have a, a 14 and a half year old son who was really struggling the last mm-hmm. year. And, um, we ended up going to a, uh, like a, a, a parent, um, and, and, uh, child, um, what was like a four week class mm-hmm. with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is that the therapist said, do not talk about sensitive or tension things in the car. Your child feels completely held hostage. They are literally buckled in mm. and they cannot, they cannot get away from you. Mm. And, and mm. I thought, oh my gosh, what an interesting yeah. realization because for me it's like there, it's just a quiet private moment where I can finally have a conversation mm-hmm. but of course right, right. he would you know, feel and, attacked and that, that's a beautiful thing to play with because for some kids and some adults you know that's the perfect time to have a more intimate conversation because we can't look at each other Mm-hmm. Our attention is is here on the road or driving, and so it makes it safer. And mm-hmm. for others, I feel totally trapped. I can't get away, right? Mm-hmm. So again, it's this it's this lovely experiment around: is this a cue of safety or danger in this moment? Mm-hmm. Because Tuesday it might be a cue of safety, and Wednesday a cue of danger, right? It depends yeah. on what else is happening to my nervous system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love that example, and I, and I love thinking about, you know, your example of your, your woman, James, too, that, you know, we, we think we know, and as soon as we yeah. think we know, we get surprised because that's right. the only <laughs> thing we know is I know what's happening here. That's my responsibility. Right. And then my responsibility is to be curious about what's happening over there. Yes. Right? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, that's it. I feel like that's teaching, period. Mm-hmm. That's teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, and James and I are constantly – 
just having a variety of conversations around that particular, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to call it a paradigm because I actually feel like it's a very different paradigm um, for teaching and the student teacher relationship. Then, then 99% of our teachers are kind of nurtured through. Um, And it's, it's like, I don't have all the answers for you and your body. I don't, I don't know all the things that you should do, nor is it my responsibility. Like there is some responsibility on you, but you, you maybe don't know that, right. you know, you, you think I'm supposed to be the expert of your body, but in mm-hmm. fact mm-hmm. you are, but right. you've never been given agency. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would always work with my clients, you know, they would come with a problem, you know, with what we call their presenting problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, we would put that over here on the side because, you know, if, if we can regulate this and help you understand this and then take the presenting problem back and look at it, you're going to know what to do with it. I can help you because you're going to be anchored in, in this regulated place where you have access to your thinking mind and options will appear but if we start there when you have no idea how to regulate this then yes it is my job to regulate your nervous system and that's not going to get us anywhere so right absolutely and i do think it's a real paradigm shift for for your teachers as it is for my you know therapist colleagues because um you know it's what it's helping us understand is you know there's no one way right yeah and whatever you're doing you know, whatever model you're trained in is, is wonderful, but it sits on top of the nervous system. And so you best start with the nervous system and then put your teaching models on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's just, just... Like a perfect time for this too. I mean, it's so difficult to quote unquote convince people that nervous system regulation is important and polyvagal theory is a thing and blah, blah, blah. When life quote unquote feels normal, feels productive, Mm -hmm. feels status quo. Mm -hmm. Introduce a global pandemic and a little bit of shelter. (laughs) And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you don't really have to convince anyone anymore that these things are important. (laughs) There is a a qualitative thing to feeling good or having choice in your body, even if it's a limited choice, that, Mm -hmm. that that there's a thing to that. Yeah, no, this global pandemic is certainly, you know, it's just brought everything, you know, intensified everything. And I think it's brought it to the surface where we can now begin to to really engage with it. So, you know, not that there is necessarily a silver lining, but there is a a pathway that has opened for us to be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so too. Well, Deb, um, it's been such a pleasure to spend time with you and to see you. We don't actually usually do our interviews on Zoom. We usually just do it over a conference line, but just felt like... I'm so glad we have face-to-face. I know, I know, I know. Um, James, do you have anything uh, final before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you so much, Deb. It's um, always a pleasure to get to talk to an expert, but especially when it's an expert in something that... um, I'm uh, deeply, deeply personally invested in. And this work has personally transformed my life and given me tools. And, and it's, um, uh, it's a, whatever is beyond passion, it's a vision, it's a calling, <laughs> this sort of 
share this work with other people now from having such a deeply resonant relationship with it. And so anytime I get to talk to someone that helps me refine my personal knowingness and my vocabulary around this thing, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. You two are inspiring to me. I love that you're taking polyvagal into your community. So please keep doing that. And I would love to stay in contact. So please oh, let me do that. We definitely will. We yeah, definitely, I, I actually don't have um, your, your most recent book, but it is, it's, it's in the mail. It is coming. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so to the next chapter of the world, we'd love to attend whatever sort of workshop training course thing you have going this. Lovely. I, I yeah. vibe with, with, how you're presenting this. Absolutely. Let's, let's all make it to that next chapter and let's be ventral vagal inspired and getting there. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Deb. All right. Take good care. We'll be in touch. Okay. I appreciate your time so much. Bye James. Bye. Good to see your face. See you. So there's that. I hope that you got a lot out of that conversation as I did and James did, and I would encourage you to listen to it again and again and check out Deb's new book and also her existing books. She is just an utter, utter delight. Before we go, we do want to make sure you know about Momentum Fest and all the changes that are going on there. It's coming up very, very soon, and of course, it is now virtual It's a virtual weekend experience, which I'm really excited to be a part of. James is also now on board for teaching. The weekend happens June 26th through 28th, and you can grab all the details at MomentumFest.com. It's very cool the way they've set it up, actually. You buy your weekend pass, and you can really just drop in and out of the weekend. You do have to register for your classes in advance in order to get the login information, but you don't have to attend all day long. You can pick and choose, and there is an even richer assortment of classes and amazing breakout sessions. I feel like Momentum Fest has really risen to the occasion in its offerings, classes, such a variety, wonderful variety of movement classes, also really wonderful and powerful roundtable community discussions. One in particular I wanted to share with you happens on the first day, which would be Friday at 11.45 to 12.45. These are all Mountain Standard Times. It's called Inclusive Movers, a Roundtable for Change, an important discussion about inclusivity and diversity presented by Momentum Fest ambassadors and presenters of color. So much else also in this three-day event, but I just wanted to point out the intention and effort they're putting into really being present with the world and what's happening socially and politically in ways that are really, really positive in support of positive change. And it's a beautiful event. I cannot imagine that it will be any less wonderful now that we are all doing it online. I know for myself, I have found the virtual experience to be quite satisfying and not lacking really in its ability to connect us. And so if you're looking for something wonderful to participate in, 
movement and community and conversation. Momentum Fest happens again Friday, Saturday, Sunday, June 26th through 28th. And you can grab your tickets at MomentumFest.com. They're also extending a 15% discount through Balanced Body, who's one of the sponsors, among many, many other really awesome things. So check it out. I also wanted to just take a final moment to share with you the science and psychology of teaching master's program. Anne Bishop, my colleague and I, who's the co-founder of the program, have been working endlessly, tirelessly to adapt and recreate and navigate the program to support what's happening in our world, in our community, professionally, in the way that we are being asked to teach differently and show up fearlessly, no matter whether we're still teaching virtually or we're teaching in a social distanced way in the studio. The science and psychology of teaching is about teaching. It is not about making you a better technician. And in some of the many courses that Anne and I have been running since Shelter in Place was instituted, I have realized that it is this foundation in teaching that really has positioned me to be able to continue to do the work that I do without hesitation, without fear, without a feeling of lack. And I would just invite you to investigate the offerings of the science and psychology of teaching master's program. We now are an open enrollment program, which means you can begin anytime. It's a five month online program which will culminate in a project that you choose and develop with our one-on-one support. It really is a phenomenal and exceptional opportunity. I'm full of adjectives today. Um, Check it out at PilatesMastersProgram.com. We have a wonderful Facebook group, Bold, Brave, and Boredom Free Teaching Roadmap on Facebook. If you want to be a part of the conversation and a lot of free trainings coming up, a lot of really wonderful information that Anne and I are creating and disseminating in support of you, in support of this crazy time, and in support of you being the most resilient and satisfied teacher you can be, regardless of what you teach, in fact. And so there's all that. And check out what James is up to, jamescrater.com. He's got a beautiful, wonderful new website. You can also learn all about us, listen to more episodes on thinkingpilatespodcast.com. If you appreciate what we're up to, if you appreciate the conversations we're having, we would absolutely adore your reviews and support on iTunes. It means a lot to us to hear from you. And if you like what we're about, even though the show will be ending soon, the more voices we add, the more power we have. So here's to deepening our knowledge and our understanding and to putting one foot in front of the other. Until next time.